live from the Salvation Army National Headquarters, this is the Fight for Good podcast. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Fight for Good podcast. I'm your host, Lieutenant Colonel Tim Foley. Here with me today is our Warcry editorial director, Mr. Jeff McDonald. Greetings. I have a quote that might be apropos to our conversation. This is from the Army Songbook. Save from all sin as our war cry and song. The Salvation Army is marching along. Well, that sounds fantastic. You know, I might have just opened with a question about football or something. You, you may not know where we were going to go with this conversation, but hey, you're sending us down the right road. So thank you very much. Hope you're doing well. Thank you. Also with us is our wonderful producer, Elizabeth. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Hello. We are broadcasting remote once again. Um, I am back in my uh, basement. Jeff, did you know that? Wonderful. I hope you're finding it productive. I am finding it very, very challenging for me to focus. It's Uh. like, oh. Yeah, I, I've got. I'm, I'm surrounded by too many books and too many little projects, you know. And oh. I'm thinking, no, yeah. I got to stay focused. Well, our yeah. building is going uh, through a lot of different things. We have the COVID uh, um, remote thing happening, but we also have some remodeling happening to our entire floor. So by the middle of January, after this podcast has already hit the air, uh, hopefully we'll all be back in our office offices with bright smiling faces on and we can keep moving on but we never know but jeff thank you for all that you're doing and we are today talking in particular about um some specifics that we uh will our readers will find in the january issue not the overall january issue but in general the history side of the war cry and there is a kind of unassuming member of our staff who just kind of works quietly in the background. Um, But we know that sometimes he likes to dress up in elaborate hats and costumes and things in our team meetings. Uh, But with us today is uh, our staff member, um, our assistant to the editor-in-chief, Major Jason Swain. Major, welcome aboard, sir. Happy New Year, everybody. Glad to be with you today. What hat are you wearing today? Uh, I have a just a baseball hat on because I'm having a bad hair day. <laughs> <laughs> well, Major Swain does a lot of stuff for us. Um, he's kind of our, our utility uh, guy, kind of go-to on a lot of research and uh, some of the underbelly things uh, that help keep our uh, department flowing in a lot of different ways, and we are grateful for that. But one of the things I think, Jeff, you and I have learned, grown to appreciate working with Major Swain the last couple of years is his great love, affection, and knowledge of history, world history, specifically American Revolution and Civil War history, but also the history of the Salvation Army. So you and I kind of turn to him a lot uh, for for some of this. Yeah, it's amazing. We've learned a lot from Major Swain. And the uh, history is such a deep subject, but in particular, Army history there is very rich. So he's um, it's great that he contributes our highlights and history column in the war cry. 
on, on you know, historical happenings. Well, Major Swain, you, uh, we gave you an interesting task. Our readers, our listeners will uh, come to know in the January issue that we're celebrating 140 years of the um, production uh, of the the war cry, the United States war cry. Uh, what, what, when you were, you were, we gave you a task to kind of work with archives and dig a little deep in the files on coming up with some cover concepts and timelines and stuff. What, what were some of the interesting things you discovered uh, when you started doing a little, little more uh, research on, on the, on this topic? Uh, the funny thing is that you can pick any history book about the Salvation Army up. And when you open it up and you get to the index and you look up the war cry, other than the beginnings, the very beginnings, when the war cry is mentioned, the, the phrase before it is usually in the war cry or this was covered in the war cry. It's not about the war cry itself. It's usually about something that happened that was reported in the war cry. So so digging up these little tidbits of when when cover art changed or when this, that changed or when the format changed was a little difficult. You had to kind of really read between the lines. Um, but that was the most fascinating thing was that it was very difficult uh, to find these little tidbits, but we did find them. And that's what's in the article. You know, oftentimes we get questions about why do we uh, continue to call our magazine, the war cry. Do you, can you give our listeners any kind of insight of where the title War Cry came from and why it's continued on for so many years? So in the early days, of course, the Salvation Army was the Christian mission. That was its first name. And and then we switched to the Salvation Army. And it, you can almost, um, by date, fix things like when did uniforms come in and when did this come in and when did that come in? The Christian mission magazine was called the Christian Mission Magazine. That's all it was. And the uh, founder, William Booth, had to change the name. He didn't know what to call it. So they came up with a uh, title called The War Cry. And what is The War Cry? And he says, The War Cry is our victory. A victory over sin, victory over poverty, victory over um, Satan. It was The War Cry is victory. And, you know, if you look up war cry in the in the dictionary or online, you'll find that it's a it's they'll call it a battle cry or they'll call it something that was shouted. Uh, we know several throughout history. The Scots shouted uh, this great uh, uh, war cries, battle cries before they fought the English. Uh, the soldiers during the revolution used to say huzzah before they went off to uh, fight the, the English or the whoever. And uh, in we know in American history during the Civil War, the Confederates had the, what's called the Rebel Yell. Uh, these were battle cries. And, and so what was the Salvation Army battle cry? And it was victory. And uh, that was that was where he came up with it. And, but that's and it's just it's stuck now across the world. The Salvation Army magazine isn't always called the war cry because it doesn't always translate. So it's called different things in different countries, but it's close enough. In, in some some Asian countries, it's just called the Salvation Army magazine because that's the best translation. Uh, but most of the time, it's called the war cry. You know, Major, when we were running quite a few oh, some representative covers of 
previous war cries over the decades in a January issue. And one thing that struck me um, was the quality of some of these early editions. Did you find that in your research? Yeah, all oh, the, the the early ones. Now we don't have in archives the the first one. I wish we did, but the very first war cry uh, was published in St. Louis. Uh, George Scott Railton, who was the commander of the United States at the time, uh, published uh, the very first American war cry in January fifteenth, eighteen eighty one, in St. Louis. He only made a hundred copies. Uh, more like he only had the money to make a hundred copies, uh, and. You know, I kind of wish time machines were a thing and I could go back to St. Louis in January of 15th and pick one up, tuck it in my coat pocket and bring it back. Uh, we do have some 1881 war cries. They're, they're very fragile, uh, but we do have a few from June and uh, July uh, of 1881. And, and from then on, we have, we have them. Um, that's, that's the really neat thing about our National Archives. We have pretty much... Every war cry ever printed from 18 about June or so, 1881 through today. Yeah, it's interesting. The Army, you know, makes it a point to use technology well. And in those early days of publishing, you know, certainly the Army sees that opportunity through, uh, you know, graphics and newspaper format, et cetera, to disseminate this information. And, you know, Colonel, I think about people, you know, the, the power of the written word. I know in this day and age, you know, there's different learning styles, kinetic, audio, but still the written word has power. And the war cry, I think, has a rich history of that. We, we really do. And I was thinking, as Major Swain was talking about, you know, the archives, it's very interesting because uh, Susan Mitchum, you know, make sure that we always give her a couple of issues of each War Cry and Peer Magazine and Crest Books and Word Indeed. And uh, she has all of at least our literary tradition, uh, you know, that, that continues to go forward. And as Major Swain was talking, I was thinking about, you know, the worldwide component, too, of the War Cry, uh, how this magazine not just the magazine that we publish here in the United States, but I, I, I believe in there's probably about 45 or 50 different countries or different publications of, of the war cry worldwide. But we we're committed to the written word. You know, I, I personally, I've benefited from the written word. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the salvation story written out not preached, uh, not, you know, spoken, uh, but written. And Jeff, there's always a, a small percentage of us that come to faith to, to Christ through, uh, through the written word. And we know that our magazine continues to have that effect uh, for, for a lot of people every year. Well, that makes such sense because God himself calls him, is called the word made flesh. So the word certainly has power, but I digress. Well, the Logos, you know, uh, the living word. And we we believe each issue of the war cry that we, we put out has a relevancy and has a, uh, has a need for uh, 
to to speak into certain things in in culture, and we're committed to uh, the theology of the Salvation Army. Uh, we're we're committed to the the practical side of the Salvation Army. Major Swain, I was I was interested to know we we've talked offline a couple of times on some of the things that you discovered in your research. Um, there there are some very unique things that we won't probably go down those roads today. But I was just wondering, you know. I, you, you continue to do research and you continue to study history and, you know, you're kind of just a walking encyclopedia and I love picking your brain, but I was wondering on this particular project, was there anything that really kind of struck you as unique about the ministry of the war cry in particular, our magazine in the United States? It, uh, the format changes throughout the years as, as it would, as an evolving living, breathing document, if, if you want to use that term. Uh, you know, you, if you pick up the January issue uh, and you're looking through it, and then you would pick up, let's say, January 1901, very different uh, magazine, very different newspaper, uh, not just the, the paper itself, but just what was in it. And it was fascinating. The early days, they were like newspapers, what we consider newspapers uh, today, uh, four or five columns, all written out, uh, all pretty much news about the Army, news about... Um, things going on. Of course, there were also uplifting articles, um, articles about, you know, living your life in, in, a, in a Christian fashion, uh, all with an army twist, all with an army bent as, as they all would be. Um, and then it, again, it changes the, the, the first uh, couple issues were only four pages and then they become eight pages and on, on and on. Uh, and then they change a little differently where, in about 1901 or so, the covers changed. They went from looking like a, a modern newspaper with just a, uh, a headline and all these articles of text to the headline, the war cry, and then a picture. Uh, it could be anything. And then a little bit later on, we actually get uh, the, the pictures become photographs. And then the photographs become, um, you know, the, 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 the paper changes again. They go from being paper to more of that slick paper that we, we consider a magazine. Uh, and, and then we, now we have digital, uh, photographs, you know, and, and artwork <clears throat> so that the, the, just the magazine continues to change and morph, uh, and, and, and be kind of more in line to the modern world. And I'm using that term very loosely because the early ones were of course, newspaper like that's how most people got their information newspapers were huge. I mean, there were thousands of them across the country and not many of them survive. Uh, if you look today, uh, of the original 19th century magazines, a lot of them are gone. Uh, there's a few that are still around though. Uh, if you've read the article in the war cry, uh, here in January, you saw that the Harper's magazine and, um, scientific American, are old magazines that are still around. You could still read. Uh, they beat the army by about, oh, 30 years or so, 30, 40 years. Uh, but they're still around. You could still buy them. Um, they haven't totally gone digital yet. But like a lot of those magazines that we know uh, today, Vogue, uh, which is from the 1890s, uh, Cosmopolitan, again, from the 1890s, Time, uh, Time Magazine, which doesn't exist anymore, 
except in an online way. You know, I grew up, Time was a, a big magazine when I was a kid. Uh, it's gone now, except on a digital format. Uh, Newsweek, all those, all those have, have, have faded. And yet the Salvation Army continues uh, month after month to publish its magazine. Uh, and we've added, of course, an online component, uh, which helps our readership. I suspect that one of the reasons for the utility of the printed version is the diversity of audiences that the work right is addressed to. Uh, did you find that in your research? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's amazing some of the stories about how a singular copy of the war cry found its way into different places and uh, how it was used and how people use it today uh, is, is, is different as well. It, you know, some people still go out and give it out and some people kind of have it out and about. I always used to carry a couple copies of the most recent copy in my car. And then if I went into a doctor's office, dentist's office, I would always somehow slip it on the table. Um, you know, you have all those magazines and people are always looking at, looking at them. And I always would slip one in there, hoping, hoping that, uh, you know, someone would pick it up and go, Oh, um, and so that was my little own little contribution to getting the word out. Um, I, I personally have used the magazine as an evangelistic tool uh, over the years. Um, well, even when I was a cadet, we sold them every Friday. Uh, every Friday afternoon, we'd, I'd either do a, a bar or tavern route uh, in San Pedro, California. At the time, it was a bustling little uh, Navy port um, and <laughs> had a lot of, I met a lot of interesting sailors in the bars there. Uh, or stand outside of a post office, but over over year over the years, I've I've used the magazine to uh, you know use it as a kind of a touch point, uh, opening up. And Jeff, you know, you'll recall a couple months ago we have one of our uh, we have an ambassador. He who's a he's a, a truck driver. Uh, he's based out of uh, I think Illinois or. Iowa. I can't remember exactly, but he, as he goes all over, we, he asked if we could send him like 20 copies of the magazine every month. And, uh, and cause he gives them out and he's led people to Christ through, uh, through that ministry. Uh, Major Swain, I was just curious, uh, help our listeners understand what, what interests you in history overall? That's kind of a hard one. I've always, um, loved history. I've loved reading it. Uh, I loved experiencing it. I think part of it is when I was a kid uh, on our family vacations, dad always stopped at those interesting places, you know, a, a historic fort or a historic village or a home. Um, and I just always loved going there and, and learning. I think, I think it really involves me uh, learning things. I love to learn things. And I get interested in things. And I also had some really good teachers in high school and college who were passionate about history when you take those history classes. And they were just always fun uh, to learn about things. And you, you, you can learn the superficial, of course, but then you start digging deeper and you realize that history is all about people. Yeah, it's about events and it's about battles and things like that. But it's really, it's, it, you know, history is lived by people. And, you know, these were real people. They were not 
demigods or uh, false false stories. These were real people living in their times, uh, and they had good days. They had bad days. Uh, they had days that they were not uh, too proud of, I'm sure. And uh, they were they were days that they were just exultant of whatever was going on. And the difficulty of life back then also intrigues me. Um, I can't uh, you know, survive without going to the store and buying a loaf of bread. Well, back back in that, you know, a long time ago, you had to bake your own. And it was very difficult uh, to live. Uh, I like what David McCullough says, uh, who's a well-known U.S. historian. Uh, he says, you know, back then was not simpler times. It was just different. And to, we are the real softies today. We have very easy lives compared to people uh, 100 years ago, 200 years ago. And so that's what draws me to it. And the fact that it's just um, interesting to learn about, you know, a different time, a different place, a different people. So that's what draws me to it. I, I, I'm still learning. I'm, I'm uh, always reading, always looking at something new. So um, I'm still always trying to find, you know, another period to study, but I've kind of, I've kind of stuck with U.S. history uh, from founding to about the Civil War. Well, I mean, when you think about history as people, are there any um, people uh, in the army in particular or with the war crime in particular that you kind of uh, look up to or are interested in? Oh, so many. I, I probably couldn't name them all, but I'll give you a few. Uh, George Scott Railton was a fascinating uh, individual. Uh, you know, as a teenager, he was was a fervent Christian, and he basically went to Morocco and decided on his own that he was going to win the country for Jesus by on his own. He had no money. Uh, he basically got on a ship and went to Morocco and decided that that was what he was going to do. Uh, he didn't last very long. He got in trouble and uh, had to get um, basically sent home by the diplomatic corps. But along the way, he met the Salvation Army and uh, uh, the rest of his life, he was pretty fervent for the army in what he did. And he was, of course, the first commissioner uh, of the Salvation Army. He's commissioned to come to the United States. And he did some crazy things um, in those early days, such as I mentioned the War Cry was published in St. Louis. Well, at the time, the army was only in Philadelphia, New York. And he just had this Western view of, 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 the, of the country and said, I'm going to St. Louis. And he didn't take anybody with him. He just got on a train and went to St. Louis. And uh, so much so that about 10 years after he left, when the army came back to St. Louis, uh, people had never heard of the Salvation Army. They didn't even rem remember that he was there. But he was for about, about half a year. Uh, I loved George and Minnie Carper Carpenter. Uh, George Carpenter was, of course, our uh, one, two, three, fourth general, uh, was the general during the World War II years. And his wife was a well-known author in, in the Salvation Army. She wrote many biographies, many articles. Uh, her entire Salvation Army officership was, was basically in the literary department. She wrote articles. She, she worked for the Australian War Cry. Uh, when they were here in London, they... She basically wrote books about Salvation Army pioneers. You could still read those today. And they're very well done. Uh, and then 
General Carpenter was, of course, a well-known literary person as well. Um, he's one of my favorite, him and her, both my favorites. And there's all kind of other characters in those early days that you can read about and, and, and study about. Uh, those are just a couple of my favorites. Yeah. We should give a nod to some of those great fi- literary figures like General Albert, Albert Orsborn, uh, Henry Garropy, Arnold Brown, um, General Coots, you know, all these people who contributed articles to the war cry. And today, you know, we do share material internationally. So Colonel Foley, your materials probably has appeared in India and Pakistan. Uh, we do have that kind of uh, give and take sometimes with other international uh, cohorts in the editorial world. Yeah, well, I remember. Well, I remember when I um, was contributing uh, back in the days when Colonel Garropy was the editor, um, and some of the articles I wrote then, they would send me copies of them because they'd been translated in Hindi and some other languages. That was that was always kind of exciting. Uh, but the international flavor of the Salvation Army is very strong. Um, and we are one of the few denominations that has the same set of doctrines and united in, in purpose and mission, uh, even though we're all in these uh, distinct countries and cultures. Major, uh, I uh, uh, you're working on a few other things. We've The highlight highlights in history uh, we've talked about having you line out things for the rest of the year. What are, what are some of the things on your drawing board right now that you're looking at researching and, and writing on? Uh, we're going to do a few different things. One of the things we're going to do uh, is a little bit more biography of those early uh, pioneers. Uh, some of the ones that aren't as famous, uh, you know, there's a lot of biographies about William and Catherine Booth and their children uh, but we sometimes forget about those other people, such like Railton. Um, one of the ones that's going to be coming up real soon is uh, a little piece about uh, Commissioner T. Henry Howard, uh, who's one of my personal favorite heroes. Uh, he was a pioneer officer, worked along with the Booths. He was the principal of the uh, International Training College in London. And then when Bramwell Booth became general, he asked Commissioner Howard to be the second chief of the staff. Big shoes to fill, as Bramwell had been chief of the staff from uh, 1878, 79 until 1912. Uh, and he was the chief of staff until he retired. He wrote several good books. Most of them are holiness-based books. So we're going to look at uh, uh, Commissioner Howard. Uh, we're going to look at, um, along those lines, aspects of the Salvation Army, such as why do we wear uniforms? like that kind of thing, uh, symbology of, of the Salvation Army, because uh, there's an interest in that. People want to know why. Why do we do this? Why do we do that? Uh, and then we're going to look at events. Uh, this year, we're going to look at the um, 1920s a little bit, and we're going to look at um, uh, the beginning of disaster work. We're going to look at the Galveston uh, hurricane, which didn't have a name back then, just the Galveston hurricane. And the uh, San Francisco earthquake, I'm going to highlight that this year as well. So just a few things uh, over the next year that are going to be interesting to look at. Um, we did a, a couple of biographies last year, and those those seem to uh, garner a lot of uh, interest. Well, fast for, you know, fast forwarding from the you know, 140 years to today, 
you think of the uh, magazine, the outreach. Um, we have um, different audiences we attempt to address, not just a Salvation Army audience, but also an external audience. We try to put in general interest articles. And I know Colonel Foley has made strides to update our content, uh, including a, a focus on millennials. And uh, there is a certain um, interaction between the Army and the culture and the army has a voice to speak into this culture today. Just wondering, Major Swain, what your thoughts are on that? Well, we're always trying to do that. Um, if you look, go back to the early days, again, as, as, as I said, they were kind of a newspaper format or written word format. Uh, pictures become a little bit more prevalent. Um, graphics become very important uh, after World War II, especially it was when it really changed. Uh, and then, of course, the the the, the frequency of, of the war cry changes too. It w- went from weekly to biweekly uh, to monthly. That took a long time uh, to get to, but uh, there's just no way I don't think we could do the quality of magazine that we do now on a weekly basis. It would just be impossible. Uh, we'd have to have triple the staff, um, and it wouldn't be as good uh, of a magazine even by by monthly or biweekly would be very difficult. Yeah, um, I, I guess the definition of the publication has changed in response to our media world, you know, what um what role does it serve? It's certainly not the one source of news for the Salvation Army as it used to be in the past, but it, it takes on a different character now. Yeah, um, the you know you know if you read those early days, there's a lot of Salvation Army news. This happened here. This happened there. Uh, you could read the War Cry and not have any idea what goes what was going on uh, in the Army in general. Uh, that is that has changed in the U.S. Uh, and that has changed across the um, the world. In most countries. They uh, they produce the War Cry and they produce another magazine. It has various names uh, in Canada and in the UK. They call it the Salvationist. That's filled with news about the Salvation Army, about what went on in this core or that core or that center and this center. And uh, I love reading them both. You just learn so much about uh, the Salvation Army in that in that country. Uh, here in America, we couldn't quite do that because we have four different territories. And so it'd be hard to do a singular national magazine about, you know, all the things that go on in the territory. So when national headquarters took over publication of the war cry in 1970, the territories were encouraged to do their own local uh, newspaper or newsletter. So in the South, they have the Southern spirit Uh, in the West, they have a new frontier um, and such and so on. So there's army news out there. If you're interested in it, uh, you can find it in those, in those magazines, those publications. Uh, we focus on national issues, on national um, ideas, on uh, more evangelical things, Bible study, spiritual formation, uh, news, big news. Uh, and, and of course, our, our, our highlights in history and all these other things. So you're not going to find specific army news, but you are going to find you know, the army message almost on every page. Uh, Major Swain, you started a, a new thing. Uh, probably, I think it was last year or so we called it influencers, but then 
Jeff and I discovered that the word influencer isn't what we think it is. Uh, it's kind of kind of interesting. <laughs> so you you're, you've changed the title of of that. Tell our listeners a little bit about uh, what's happening there. Yeah, we um we decided to change the title from influencers. It's now going to be called profiles, which is more in line of what it is. Profiles of interesting people in the Salvation Army, advisory board members, employees, officers, staff members at NHQ. Uh, those kind of things. And what we do is we ask them 10 questions. Uh, the questions vary and they're, they're different. Some people have longer answers. Some people have shorter answers. And then we always have one fun question at the end. Last year's question was uh, pineapple on pizza, yes or no. Uh, this year it's what is your favorite dessert? So look for those answers. We've had uh, a couple of really good what is your favorite dessert answers. Uh, so far, and uh, we'll see how the rest of the year uh, rolls around. So look for that. It's just one page, easy read, but you'll find some interesting, modern Salvation Army personalities uh, on that page. You know, it's it's kind of uh, overwhelming to think about all the detail work that has gone into the work right over the decades by, you know, craftsmen, artists, writers, etc., and how important it is to uh, be accurate in our reporting. Like the joke with uh, Arnold Brown, the headline read, uh, Arnold Brown elected God, bless the general, just because there was a comma after in the wrong place. It should have been, of course, Arnold Brown elected general, God bless. <laughs> I'm I'm sure there there must have been some pretty interesting, hilarious uh, things that you discovered, um, Major. That that probably didn't wouldn't translate very well in our uh, our era right now in your research uh, on on the work of the 140th issue. Oh yeah, things things that were today would be totally culturally insensitive. Uh, or if I can say this, downright racist, uh, not intending to be, but just were, uh, compared to the modern uh, eye. Uh, there are also funny little funny little tidbits. I shared one with you, Colonel, that I, I still thought was is funny, and that was pretty much the um, uh, a little advertisement that said, you know, if you haven't ordered War Cry, uh, why not? And you you know, a list has been shared. <laughs> With with core cores and centers that that did not order a war cry, and how come you haven't ordered your war cry? Uh, so it's pretty much a shame list, as as what we what I called it. And it was right in the middle of the middle of the of the of the uh, of the magazine. Yeah, and, we're, and, the, and we're not we're not going to resurrect that. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> feature. <laughs> but I I thought it was I, I shared it with you on that yeah, particular yeah. day. Just thought it was funny that they would uh, at the time thought that. That was that was you know a good thing to do, but that was the early army. They they did that. They called people out on things uh, that we wouldn't dare do today. Well, uh, but it was those kind of things. And if you look at those early issues and you see you see things that were off color or um, uh, you know like I said just a, a racist or what would you consider racist or, or strange, it was their time. They didn't see an issue with that. Um, and that's uh, there's a lot of things in history that are like that, not just the Salvation Army, but that that you know you could take a modern lens to it and you say, oh, that was terrible. But if you look at it from the perspective of at the time, 
uh, and how their view, their worldviews were. You you kind of understand it a little bit. Such a good point. Revisionist history can be dangerous. You know, it's it's easy to pass judgment on the cultural norms of the of a past decade or day. Yeah, we talk about that quite a bit, uh, especially in in recent times. You know, I mean, those of us that are amateur historians, uh, I consider Major Swain not an amateur. He's a lot deeper. But I've always been interesting interested in in what has gone on before, and understanding the the context. And uh, in in uh, my previous life, where I was teaching a lot, teaching Old Testament at the training college for cadets for about eight years out West, you know, constant was like context is king, especially when it comes to history. Uh, and, and that's kind of, again, something that you're emphasizing major correct as you're researching and you're writing about history. Yes, totally. I mean, you have to know the times that they lived in. You have to know their mentality Discipline was pretty tight back in the do- those days, not just uh, publicly, but in, in the Salvation Army itself. I mean, you could be thrown out for so many different things, and the expectations were so high for just the regular field officer, let alone staff officers or those in leadership. You know, the um, the founders were ascetics. They were a little bit fervent. They were a little bit uh, strange to our, our views, but they had very specific views of what this disciplined movement needs to be. And so while it has changed a lot, we are still fairly highly disciplined as compared to some others. I mean, as a Salvation Army officer, I can get a phone call and say, on this date and this time, report to this job or this appointment. And I have to say, yes, sir. And off I go, pack up my stuff, and I, I leave. Um, that's that's discipline, and it's the same. It's the same back then, but back then they did it in three months. Uh, I couldn't imagine just going somewhere and knowing that you're only going to be there three or four months. But that's the way they did it. They they moved people around a lot, um, trying to bu- trying to build a local uh, esprit de corps. We would call it today, where you're not dependent on the officer. You're dependent on yourself. And so that's another aspect of history that I just, about the Salvation Army history that I love is these early days where, you know, officers were every three months were moving, uh, you know, and basically packing up the few belongings they had and off they went on a train or on a bus or very rarely a car. And off they went, you know, they went to the next town and they were there for three months or four months. Uh, And then they went somewhere else and they went somewhere else. And so you see these early lists of where people were. And sometimes they're hard to, to comprehend. You know, you see February through June or February through May and then May through June. And, you know, and sometimes they were only there for a couple of weeks, especially in the bigger cities. So, uh, yeah, uh, discipline back then was, was pretty tight. Uh, and so that's why you, you can kind of understand reading some of these shame lists or these lists of things that were happening uh, and some of the specific details that they would share uh, were to keep that discipline in check. Yeah. Wasn't it Newton who said, I can see so far because I stand on the shoulders of giants. It's kind of that same tradition, I think, that the Army hands down. I remember hearing about a, a, an editor 
of the war cry before he became the editor, I think by the name of Rustad, he was dropped off by bus into Washington, D.C. and told to start a corps. And that was it. He didn't have any funding or <laughs> any other leads. So, yeah, it was a tough duty. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was uh, my favorite one is a, a particular one was at a public meeting. A uh, divisional commander called up a lieutenant, freshly minted lieutenant, and said, Lieutenant, I'm sending you to the next town over to start the Salvation Army. Here's your flag. And he presented him a flag. And then the lieutenant said, kind of under his breath, well, what's my funding, sir? And the uh, divisional commander said, well, I gave you a flag. And that was it. Yeah. Um, and, and so when that happens today, and it does still happen, uh, happened a few years ago at the commissioning in the South, uh, the territorial commander commissioned a, a lieutenant to a new corps, new opening, and he presented him a flag. And all I could think of was sitting there was, well, I gave you a flag. I mean, that's all I could think about, you know, uh, go, go do it. And, uh, that was how they were though. They would, they would just send them off to the next town or village on the train and say, go, yeah, go start it, you know, here, go, go do it. Uh, that still happens today. Uh, not as much here in this country, but in places like Zimbabwe and, um, Kenya, Kenya, especially, you know, they'll just send people to the next town or village and say, go, and next thing you know, there's a Salvation Army there. Uh, they might be meeting under a tree or might be meeting under a pavilion or a tent, uh, but they start off. And our national commander was the territorial commander uh, there for a number of years. And we'll tell stories about you know, these large parades and a, a, a contingent would go by with their name on a placard. And he would not really remember that there was a corps there. So he would ask, do we have a corps in this town? And usually the answer was what we do now. You, you know, I mean, that's, it's, it's just a, it's just one of those, those things. Well, it's uh, kind of a pioneering spirit, isn't it? Um, and we're happy to be part of that with the war cry. You know, one of the things I appreciate from your research in writing the article for January, um, Major Swain, is, you know, the focus on um, enduring themes and insight and inspiration and information about the Army that the magazine has kind of um, published, you know, over the uh, over the decades. So um, that research is uh, no doubt very fascinating. Well, we've always included uh, – the, the steps of salvation, the ABCs of salvation or the one, two, three, four, whatever. Uh, and we are, you know, for all intents and purposes, a evangelical movement and an evangelical paper. Uh, I, I can't think of one issue where you will not see the name of Jesus or, uh, or the references to him. Uh, you know, we are a definitely Christian magazine. Uh, we're not, you know, the Salvation Army magazine and we are but i'm saying we're not it's all not all about the salvation army any any salvation army for the past 20 years war cry has been about um you know evangelical work how to live a better life how to live this life or uh, the bible studies that we've included or the in, in recent months the spiritual formation um areas um even, 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 you know, highlights to history. They have a, they have a, a, a reason for, 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 for being in there. Uh, you know, we, we live, we, we have a living and breathing movement. Uh, it's always changing, always expanding, sometimes contracting, 
Uh, and we are part of that. Like I said, what drew me to history was the people. And we are now, you know, we're living history today. You know, in 20 years, 30 years, they're going to look back at 2020 uh, and now 2021. And, you know, they're going to say, how did you live through all that? You know, and we're going to be able to to say, well, this is what I did or this is what I didn't do. Well, Major, we really appreciate all the things that you do for us uh, at National Publications uh, quietly uh, with great diligence and your steady spirit is uh, greatly appreciated. Thanks for sharing a few uh, tidbits with us today and uh, pulling back the covers a little bit so we could see uh, and uh, talk a little bit about some of the things you do in the history of the Salvation Army. Well, I really appreciate being here. It was fun to, to write this article. I hope people will, will read it and enjoy it and, of course, comment on it. I'd be glad to hear if I made a mistake, uh, which is possible. Uh, but uh, like I said, it was fun to write, and I look forward to this coming year with the uh, profiles pages, uh, the uh, highlights in history uh, pages that are coming up uh, over the next uh, couple of months. Uh, and I'm always looking for new topics. If you'd like to learn something, you know, send us a note. And uh, if it's something that I could answer quickly, I'll be glad to do that. If it's something that I think would be an interesting article, I'll definitely put it on my list. Well, whenever there's mistakes made, it's always Jeff McDonald's fault. So <laughs> yeah, don't not worry. Today. I haven't made one today yet, I don't think. <laughs> Thanks again, Major, for joining us. Well, that's going to end this episode of the Fight for Good podcast. Be sure to subscribe to Fight for Good wherever you listen to your podcasts at. And don't forget to follow us at The War Cry, thewarcry.org, and Peer Magazine, peermag.org, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Until next time, this has been the Fight for Good podcast. Bye for now. Subscribe to Fight for Good wherever you listen to podcasts.